Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. We've got five matches coming up to chat about involving each of the French clubs in action throughout Europe. But before that, we can't go any further without a mention, firstly, of the great, but now sadly late, Diego Maradona. Unfortunately, I'm way too young to have ever seen the Argentine strut his stuff on the pitch, but thankfully, with the sheer multitude of archive footage, I've been able to relive just a fraction of his incredible footballing career over the past few days. A man not without his problems, but in this rare occasion, his problems are just what accentuated him to be the legend that he was. The best player ever? Some will disagree. But what no one can contest is the influence he had on football in South America, Europe and beyond. Rest in peace, Diego Armando Maradona. But as was his passion, he won't want us to sulk in his passing, but rather celebrate the thing he based his life around, football. As I said earlier, each of the five French clubs in Europe were involved this week as they continued their lives in the group stage of the Champions League and the Europa League. Nice faced off against Slavia Prague in a match that could drastically affect Patrick Vieira's job security were his men not to beat the Czech champions. Lille had the chance to pretty much book their place in the knockout stage if Group H's other match went their way, but they had to get past AC Milan at home first before they could concern themselves with anyone else. Wren hosted Chelsea as they aimed to get their first win of the competition and give themselves a chance of qualification for the next stage of the Europa League. And PSG had a critical match against Leipzig in what could turn the tides for both their chances of qualification as well as Tuchel's job. However, first up, I want to chat about the French club that probably had the worst result this week, and that is, of course, Marseille. Alongside me today is Thomas Wiseman and Philip Bargiel. And Thomas, did you know that Marseille have just become history makers? Unfortunately, not in the good way, as they just set the record for the most consecutive Champions League defeats in a row. 13. Thomas, how embarrassing. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty shocking. Uh, but I think <laughs> we've known it's been it's been coming and uh it what i mean to be fair it was a less of a dreadful performance than we've seen, seen so far in their Champions league run um but i think it just shows you when they were up they had a man advantage for about maybe not even 2 minutes i don't think before they lost it <laughs> which and then it, i think that was at 1-0 down and then they went on to to concede another and and just sort of just gave up towards the end. Um, it was it was a better performance, but I think as uh, Vyashboa said at the post-match press conference, he just said, you know, it's something that it's a campaign to forget for for the club. Hmm. Four games played now and not even a single goal. They're the only club in the competition at the moment to do so, not scoring any in their matches. Just six shots on target in that time. Philip, it really has been a woeful performance for them in this year's competition. Um, Yeah, but, you know, for last night, it was to be expected. Everybody was raving about this infamous 13 13 defeats in a row, if you add them up from, you know, all the all the additional campaigns. And to be honest, I mean, uh, in uh, in France, nobody was really expecting Marseille to do to do anything. I mean, you had uh, you had those. Uh, I think Newcastle did it a very long time ago, uh, where you had the sides who lost their opening three games, but then came back and won the uh, the next three and somehow qualified or almost went close to qualifying. I mean, for Marseille, there's just so so many so many uh, so much trouble. Uh, well, there is trouble on the pitch with the players not uh, uh, the squad be, not being good enough to play twice a week, and uh, a lot of people will say that the mentality is not right. That a lot of things are not right, but really, I mean, nobody's quite surprised that Marseille lost against Porto. And um, one thing I will say, even you know, if uh, if uh, I am a PSG fan, I mean, just try not to lose against Olympiacos. I mean, 13 is right enough, but don't make it 14. And and I, to be honest, most of the people here, I mean, there are a lot of Marseille fans in Paris, uh, say, OK, well, you, you broke the record, well done. 
but uh, you know, just try, just try to try and uh, try and not make it uh, to to fifteen. That which would be possible if they lost to Olympiacos and then to uh, Manchester City. Yeah, they really don't want to start extending this record, you know, create one that maybe no one will beat for a couple of years. Well, that was the thing last year, wasn't it? Maybe the season before, obviously with coronavirus, the last few seasons have kind of moulded into one for me. But Atalanta, they lost their first three Champions League matches, if I'm correct, and then went on in the second half of the group stage to really batter on and eventually qualify for the kind of knockout stages and had a, a lot of really good games there. That didn't really happen here, you know, in this whole match with them losing 2-0 to Porto with Sanusi and Oliveira getting the goals, really just hammering home how poor this has been for Marseille. So, Thomas, where does the blame lie? You know, what's going on here? Why has there been seemingly very little progress since that second place finish last season in Ligue 1? I think... I mean, if you look at the the squad they've got at the moment, there was not really much bulking out for for a European campaign, and we all suspected that with the amount of work that Villarreal did with that side to even get them to qualify for the Champions League was was pretty incredible, um, and I think a lot of a lot of fans were worried that this would just be too much, and it did prove too much um the squad just isn't they just didn't look they weren't prepared and and they just don't have the resource to they never had the resource just to begin with to tackle this kind of thing and even try and uh, qualify for any any lights group stages and we've heard so much in the last few years about the financial difficulties that Marseille have gone through and, and you know they've tried to sell a couple of players there, there was all that fiasco with them trying to sell players to England and nothing really ever came of it and then of course COVID-19 has come and, and just dealt another blow to a lot of the French teams do you think that side of it is really to blame here in, in the grand scheme of things you know this has been a Champions League run in the making for the last few years you know it's all been building up to finally getting to this but does this result just show that even though they managed to get into the Champions League last season they're still way off what their their final stages as as Marseille if you know what I mean Thomas yeah it's exactly that um last season was was domestically brilliant for them uh just managing to I think it was probably it was pretty much a step a too too big of a step for them, um, and that's not obviously can't really be a criticism. They did that well, but they they come into the Champions League and they just like I said, not really prepared for it and and not not ready to to deal with that, um, especially resource wise. So uh, it, it is difficult, um, but it's very understandable the situation. Therein, but I think it was something that was mentioned um, yesterday was that they spent quite a lot of money on Enrique during the a COVID period, which is looking a bit shaky. <laughs> People are questioning why why they did that, and he might be very talented, but I mean, I'm not sure about that. I mean, th- this was said on the GFFN Twitter page as well. Yeah, that was yeah, kind yeah. of statement that they said, you know, as much as Luis Enrique, obviously we're going to be eating our words in 10 years' time when he's picking up his <laughs> third Ballon d'Or, but generally he's a he's an extremely unproven attacker. And yeah, like I said, he probably will come good in a couple of years, but that's not really what Marseille need at the moment. They're, they need someone to kind of carry them forward. You know, we saw that, that, we saw that last season with Paye when he was mesmeric in some games for most of that mm. season carrying them to second and then it's not really been the same type of performances this season from him and then you spend so much money on an 18 year old who like I said nothing against him he probably will come good at some point but it's just not what Marseille really need at the moment is it Thomas? No it's definitely it's definitely not it wasn't what they needed during the transfer window that's the issue really when you look at that Marseille side and they can't. I, I don't understand why they went out and spent that much money. And it just makes even less sense during the, pand- the pandemic um, when they should have been really bolstering their, their squad much more better than they have they have done. 
Philip, obviously this is, there's bigger issues at Marseille at the moment than just what's going on on the pitch, but how much blame do you put on Andre Villas-Boas for this campaign in Europe? Is there a lot to be put at him, or as Thomas and I have been saying, the squad just wasn't up to it? I don't think you can you can particularly blame the Portuguese manager. I think uh, the squad wasn't uh, wasn't strong enough, and that uh, reinforcements were. I mean, they did spend quite a lot of money on on Luis Enrique. We reinforcements. There was there was no real uh, strategic plan. And to be honest, I, I can't really blame the board on that on that one because a lot of people have been uh, criticising the board for not uh, giving um, not giving them a little bit any directions. But uh, to be honest, uh, to be honest, uh, I don't I didn't see a lot of activity in 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 the summer because uh, we didn't really know what was what was going on, which leagues would be able to finish their leagues. I mean, France didn't finish finish its league. Uh, there's, there's, there was a new TV deal, and the new TV deal is ap- apparently not as good, uh, not as secure as uh, as the uh, as the old one was because uh, they're probably gonna they stop paying after after a couple of months. So. You know, financially speaking, it's a, it's a very trying time to be a, to be a league out club. It really has to be uh, very well run, like Lyon. But I mean, uh, uh, 19 out of 20, uh, 19 clubs out of 20, you know, it isn't. So yeah, the board, the board is to blame, and uh, and uh, again, maybe maybe the attitude, but this is the French problem that we will see, just like for Rennes or for Nice. It's just uh, it's just a problem of not being mentally prepared to uh, to give it 100% twice a week. It's always always that uh, that um, sort of not uh, thinking about the game at the weekend because if you if you give too, you, if you give it too much if you give it too much in midweek you're not going to be you're not going to be fit enough on, on the weekend. And it's just been an ongoing problem in in French football, which just hasn't been the case elsewhere. But we'll probably talk about that later. So, what you think that's a, a French problem, fellow? Why do you think that's been the case for these French teams in recent years? It's not been in recent years. It's been there forever. It's been there forever with uh, with the Europa League performances being uh, really not uh, not as good, uh, not as good at as um, as our neighbours. I mean, we've uh, we've lost it. I mean, no no offense to uh, no offense to Czech Republic, uh, Czech Republic football, Czech football in in general, but uh, they seem to, uh, to to think of uh, of the league games uh, taking games one at a time. Whereas we would we would uh, we would um, view that as saying, okay, we uh, we need to play well, but so uh, you know, don't uh, don't get yourself too tired. We've got because we've got uh, we've got a big game in midweek. On the other hand, uh, Liga is a very physical league, which uh, which as the same cannot be said of uh, maybe all all the other leagues. But that doesn't excuse it, though. Of course, I. If Marseille go this entire group stage with, let's say they don't progress to the Europa League, they don't really beat Olympiakos that spot, which at the moment is not looking very likely. If they go this entire Champions League run without even picking up a single point, Philip, do they turn into a bit of a laughing stock, even more than some might say at the moment? No, no I don't think they can do any worse. Honestly, with that, with that record, they can't really do any worse. And uh, I think... A lot of people, um, I think, a lot of people connected with the club wouldn't want, wouldn't want Europa League because uh, Marseille actually in a very good position in in the league. Uh, Marseille have two games in hand. Uh, they didn't play against Nice, and they've got another game in hand against Lens, I think it is. And if they win both these games, they equal in points with PSG. So you know, Europa League is just not going to be not going to be uh, to be welcome on, uh, for the second half of the season. And it'll probably result in a uh, in a very hum in a very humble defeat to uh, to minnows or what we should should be considering minnows. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's the worst part is that Marseille may be uh, may have lost 13 Champions League games in a row, but chances are they may be back in uh, next uh, next September. It'll be tough, but you know they'll be in they'll be in there they'll be they'll be up there with Lille and Lyon. Yeah, uh, Thomas, do you think the club are almost Obviously, the financial constraints aren't great, but maybe in a 
in a psychological sense, the lack of fans, do you think that maybe helps just in a little bit where they're not walking off the pitch getting booed by 50,000 people at the at the velodrome? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, imagine what that that velodrome would have been like with with packed full of fans when they're performing like they are. It would have been um yeah, pretty devastating to to hear hear them that from the fans to be honest, but um yeah, they've kind of got away with, kind of got away with it, um, also without fans. And they've got a big match this weekend uh, against Nantes, who currently sit in 14th place in Ligue 1. What do they need from that game to kind of regain some respect? A win, obviously, but does it really need to be of a quite, uh, quite dominating? manner to really get some of the fans back on board you know we saw that when in the league uh, a few weeks ago after the last Porto defeat when they beat Strasbourg I think that was scored by their only shot on target so even though they won it wasn't overly convincing does Villas Boas need to show a lot more in this coming match this weekend um I'm honestly I'm not I don't I really don't think Marseille even though where they are in the position in the league, I really don't think they've performed very well um, despite despite where they are. They've just been pretty... I think the just the intensity that, that they used to have um, last season is just it's nowhere close to it that it was before and and even, you know, with with Tovan and, and Paya, they just don't look as dangerous. I mean... If, if we just go off um, basic statistics, there's some um, expected goals per 90 that um, FB ref have them as the fourth worst in the division, and it's not even a it's not even one goal one expected go, expected goal per 90. It's 0.98, which is pretty shocking. So that even just like hammers up. Yeah, hammers up more like what was happening though. Yeah, um, yeah, Marseille really kind of digging them into a bit of a rut in Europe as we've seen that and if they're not careful it could continue into their domestic campaigns you know that was probably the last thing that they want to see for them to be failing on both fronts they currently sit sixth two points off Montpellier and Monaco and Lyon that very very tight top part of the table but as it is very tight you know they're only three points off 12th if some certain teams around them got a win so you know it, it is very narrow at the moment and a slip up in Ligon could really be quite costly. Quite a difficult situation for Marseille and their fans at the moment. But let's move on to our second match of the podcast. This was PSG up against RB Leipzig. And, you know, PSG, they've also had their struggles. You know, as I always say around PSG, we never seem to be two defeats away from a drama uh, in the capital. And in this one, in their European campaign so far, it hasn't been clean cut they haven't you know gone and won every match and they're sitting right at the top of the table they currently sit second drawn on the same number of points as Leipzig who currently sit third uh, they posted Leipzig in this very critical match but they got the win a 1-0 win over the Germans with Neymar scoring a very early penalty uh, Philip what did you make of PSG's performance in this one you know the reaction and the reception of that performance was extremely negative in France Right. Actually, uh, if there's one time I'm going to praise Tuchel uh, since the start of the season, it's it's on this match. So the penalty was, uh, as you said, very early. It was also extremely generous. To me, it was never a penalty. I mean, um, not quite sure who touched him away, but he only touched him. I mean, if that was um, if that was um, whistled against my team, I would be yeah, I would be quite annoyed. I'd be seriously annoyed. So then uh, Neymar takes a penalty. Uh, they all step up. So okay, he, he puts it away. Um, the uh, the rest of the first half we don't we don't see much. We see a bit of Leipzig uh, shooting from distance, but basically Navas has two two stops to make. Then second half starts. Then you've got you've got the same system four three three. Um, you've got the front three of Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria. Di Maria awful game again, very very poor. Um, and uh, what, uh, after five minutes, the players are actually asking Tuchel, well, what's, uh, what's the strategy? What are we supposed to do? And a couple of minutes later, uh, Tuchel replaces Di Maria with, um, I believe it is Rafinha. And Di Maria 
really not happy at all to 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 go uh, to be taken off. He goes. Uh, he he doesn't shake his hand. He doesn't look at Tohoi. He just uh, uh, goes uh, goes in the dressing room moping. And I mean, to to me, to to me, he doesn't have a case. He was he was not. He didn't have a good game. But anyway, uh, then uh, Rafinha joins uh, the other central central midfielders, uh, and it's a, it's actually a five three two. So we're actually playing nine players behind the ball. And what Tuchel did was say, okay, Leipzig are not good in attack, and they're not honestly. They, I mean, Poulsen, I, I have nothing against Poulsen or Sorlot. Uh, Forsberg is a good player, and he he can score goals. He actually scored against France. He scored in the uh, in the corresponding fixture three weeks ago, but. What basically Tuchel said to 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 you know football fans, so people understand football football taxes was, if we play if we sit deep, Leipzig are not going to score, and that's what happened. And of course, after so we didn't concede any goals. Navas had absolutely nothing to do in the second half. There were a few you know a few moments where uh, you know squeaky bum time, as uh, as the English say. But uh, Danilo, uh, he reverted to uh, to a cent- uh, central centre back, if you know what I mean. So he played between Marquinhos uh, and uh, Diallo, who had, you know, this, this may have been one of Diallo's best games. I thought he was, uh, I thought it was, uh, he was good, and uh, it was resolute. You know, it showed it showed team spirit, and uh, and it showed when Neymar and Mbappe got uh, got subbed. Uh, they were, you know, they, they were applauding. They were, they were, they were. They were urging urging their colleagues on. I mean, they they yeah they were they were in it. And this doesn't strike me as players who don't support the manager. And and of course after the game, the whole press and uh, our dear dear l'équipe uh, saying that uh, Tuchel has to go and uh, so, uh, that this performance is unacceptable. C'est un scandale, as we say here. You know. I just thought it's not. It wasn't a great watch. I mean, to, to those, I mean, don't uh, don't. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it was, but you know, it was resolute, and we got the job done. But now on Wednesday, there is going to be Old Trafford, and that's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Are, are they going to be turning up the same way at Old Trafford that they did in this match? You know, with a, a defensive uh, mindset, or do they have to go for the win? You know, they have to go and kind of prove something when they do face Manchester United in this one? Oh, we have to win that one. We have to win, and I, I reckon we have to win the aggregate scoreline, and then, because if we win the aggregate scoreline, we're pretty much through. Excuse me. Uh, we're pretty much through, because then we, we'll only have to need to beat uh, Istanbul, uh, Basaksehir. here. Although I do remember a couple of years back, we were in Arsenal's group. We actually won on aggregate on away goals. Uh, well, we, we, we didn't win, because there, there were goals, uh, there were draws uh, home and away. And all we had to do was beat uh, Ludo Goetz, which we didn't. And then, in the uh, in the first knockout stage, we met Barcelona. That was the the infamous uh, remontada where we won four 0 in the first leg and uh, and lost uh, lost six one in the in the second leg. But no, what we have to do at Old Trafford was is the exact same thing that we did uh, last time we went there: is to win by two clear goals, is to win the aggregate scoreline. Then then qualification should, would not be a problem. Because I, I'm, I mean, I have little doubt that Leipzig will be, beat Istanbul. But the good thing is, we've got this, uh, we've got this uh, aggregate advantage on Leipzig. It would be, it would be great to to have this advantage, uh, aggregate advantage against Manchester United. Again, the performance at home to to United was not good, and it's going to take something special to to get it. But we saw what Virati did when he came on. As a, as a midfield team uh, invigorated, and of course everybody was saying how how uh, we missed him, and uh, that the game really started after 85 minutes and, and some rubbish. But uh, uh, give him give him the give him the keys against Bordeaux on Saturday and see what uh, what happens at Old Trafford. I don't I don't see them I don't see Manchester United as a superior side. Just uh, yeah, be, uh, be be bloody careful with the penalties and VARs this time. Philip, you don't sound too disheartened though after after that PSG Leipzig win. You know, I, I saw some people uh-huh. kind of react and saying that oh, it was ugly and it wasn't this big glorious performance that you would sometimes expect it from was. PSG. You know, it was a bit more ugly. You don't sound too disheartened by it though. But it was ugly. It was ugly. Yeah, no, it was ugly. It, it was. It, it was. I mean, it was. Uh, it's. It's. Uh, you know, it was an Italian job, if you will. I mean, it was ugly. It wasn't nice to watch, but but uh, the result was there. And you have to 
you have to uh, you have to applaud the manager for for, ta- for for making the right move. I mean, what he wanted was uh, was uh, was a win against Leipzig on aggregate, which he did. I mean, I'm not going to rewatch the game. I'm not going to uh, make myself do that again. I'm not going to uh, to force someone else to do it again. It wasn't a great watch, but we got the job done. And sometimes you need to, yeah, you need to you need to to uh, to to take it to take it and say, well, you know, we got the right result. Mm. Some some yeah. other teams have won tournaments with that uh, with that motto. The, the GFFN Twitter page uh, put out a tweet saying that PSG's biggest problem at the moment is that they made it to the Champions League final without a clear identity and move construction other than let Neymar do what he wants. And some neat counter combinations started almost exclusively by Herrera and Di Maria. So they haven't evolved. What do you think about that statement? Do you think they have evolved or, or do they need to evolve PSG at this moment? Or can they, can they just keep what they're doing and eventually it'll come good? This season has always been is always about the um, the uh, the transition period. First of all, because we 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 played the Champions League final in July, which uh, is unheard of, um, and uh, had little time to uh, prepare for this season. Had no time actually to prepare for this season. Um, we know that our manager is uh, not best friends with the press. He gets annoyed at almost every post-match press conference. Um, Pretty sure he doesn't want to, to to extend his stay as PSG manager. I'm convinced he doesn't want to stay in France uh, either. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to be managing in the Bundesliga next season. Um, positives that the club is not going to uh, to extend his contract. So uh, at this moment in time, I'm complete. I'm in complete agreement with the tweet uh, that we have no identity. We uh, we. Um, Eliminated a very not a great Dortmund side, I would think. Even even if they they have Allen, but as a unit, they're not that good. We were extremely lucky against Atalanta and against Leipzig. We just uh, we just put on the show, and Leipzig were just terrible. I mean, Nagelsmann really didn't get his tactics right. So yes, yes, we we lack an identity, but we're not going to get one this season. We're going to get one next season with a new manager, and I mm. really hope it's Pochettino. <laughs> <laughs> that would be some appointment, to be honest, if that, it did come that, off. That's that's me. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I think it'll be Tego Mota. That's uh, that's the uh, that's my that's my bet for next season. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. You know, get get your bets all ready for the for the next manager coming into the capital. So, at just after the halfway stage, four games played now uh, in Group H of the Champions League. PSG sitting second in that group uh, just ahead of Leipzig who are on the same points next week it's away to the uh, to Old Trafford to play Manchester United and I've already had already had Pierre Paul Birmingham in my ear saying he wants to come on the podcast next week just because of that match just because he wants to talk about the big one absolutely typical honestly <laughs> hate, hate, hate the boy Thomas Wiseman you were you've been in my messages all week long telling me something about Marco Verratti so here there's 60 <laughs> seconds tell me about how he was against Leipzig in his short cameo I think it's a tribute to uh, Jazz, to be honest, who will, will want me to say this, but um, it's obvious that Verratti is a phenomenal football player and he's so important to that, the PSG side because he's able to receive the ball from defenders and he's amazing under pressure, but he came on yesterday, um, uh, on, on Tuesday and almost, got, I don't know how he didn't get a red card for, I think, I think he had one challenge which was, a pretty tough one, but he, he won the ball. And his second one, I can't remember who it was on, but it was wildly out of control and it was above the knee and it was shock. I don't know how he didn't get a red card for it, but it's just typical Marco Verratti and it's just something that he has played his career for all the time. And it, and it was just, it, it could have easily been sent off and um, nobody would have been surprised that happened. I'm not sure what. <laughs> Phil thinks, Phil thinks about it, but um, yeah, it was. I love. He's such a great player, but that side of his game is just, um, yeah, has never improved. No, I agree completely. He, yeah, he could have, he could have seen red on that, on that challenge. And uh, you've, you, you've got, you've got always the same typical Virati face. 
a very <laughs> innocent face, saying, yeah. "Well, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? You know, it's it's like it's like it's football. It's normal." And and he he almost cut the guy's leg off. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's reckless. It's it's yeah, it's it's Virati in a nutshell. Uh, okay, let's move on to our next match of the podcast. And this was Lille hosting AC Milan. This one finished 1-1. Samu Castillejo, uh, who is my favourite name in world football, scored for AC Milan, opened that one up before Jonathan Bamba equaled it up for Lille, earning a point for Le Dog. Solid enough draw for Lille, you have to say, you know, keeping them on top of the group, generally what Galtier will probably be looking for, you know, the main thing with this match was probably just don't lose, you know, going up against the team on top of Serie A at the moment. Um, you have to say, Thomas, that a draw out of this game, even though they would have loved the win that would pretty much book their place in the next stage of the competition. They've got to be pretty happy with that. You know, maybe if Ibrahimovic had been playing in this one, it would have been a bit more of a different story. But a one-one draw, pretty happy with that, Thomas? Yeah, I think that's that's what they were after, really, from that, not to lose the game. And and it was um it was a it was kind of a tough match um between both sides, but it was pretty ended pretty deserved a one all draw and and uh, you can't say that's a, a bad performance from Lille, and they they did do they did um, play okay uh, in the end, and and sort of nullified any sort of threats that that Milan did throw at them. Um, so it was yeah, it's a I think it's a good performance for them, and they're sort of the I mean the only sort of bright spark in in a lot of these um, European games for for French teams, but certainly uh, a good performance for them. I know what we were talking about earlier about the kind of lack of preparation sometimes that teams can can make for these European matches. The French teams, Lille have probably been alongside PSG, obviously, but they're in a kind of different world with the finance. But Lille have done so well to kind of manage that. You know, they have swapped around their team in this one. If you want to go Benjamin Andre and Jake in midfield, they'll do that and they'll come against AC Milan and they'll come out okay, you know, and they'll they'll switch it about and they'll still do okay. It's kind of it has to be respect at the moment. You know, Josie Font comes in after Adama Samoro played at the weekend and he still does so solid as as the Portuguese or Portuguese always has done since he's joined Lille. And there were a couple of nice touches from a number of players in this game. Jonathan Nicone came off the bench and I thought he looked quite good, especially in the last couple of minutes of the match. He was really trying to create that winning goal, although it didn't really come in the end. Jonathan Bamba got his goal. Luis Araujo impressed. And Jonathan David, he got the assist for the Jonathan Bamba goal. You just get a nice little chest, nice little touch. Cynics will say it was just a bad touch that fell into the path of Jonathan Bamba, but I'm going to try and say it's intentional. Um, Jonathan David, he got his first goal for the club finally at the weekend in a 4-0 demolition of Lorient. He also got an assist in that game, and that makes it three assists in Jonathan David's last four games. And when I was looking at that, it, it kind of harked back to something that Eric Devin has been saying for the last few weeks on this podcast. I believe he's having Thanksgiving right now, by the way, in America, so send my regards to the turkeys and all that uh, <laughs> across the <laughs> pond. Uh, but he was saying a lot that Jonathan David, he's not your 30-goal-a-season striker. He's, he's not... Burak Yelmaz, when he was in his prime, you know, is going to come and just lead the team forward and get you that winning goal. He's going to create more. He's more of a, <clears throat> excuse me, he's more of a creator, more of a second striker, as you would say. Thomas, now that he's got his first goal, can kind of calm himself a little bit down and he's been producing a bit more assists, a few more assists. Are we going to now start seeing the best of Jonathan David and, and what he was brought to Lidl to do? I mean, maybe not the best, but um, we're certainly should be certainly expecting better performances from him and, and this even tonight's what i saw of him he was much more engaged the team it seemed like and it was it was good to see him score his first goal and there was so there was so much relief when he scored it um <laughs> from him and obviously the the bench and all the players it was a bit real big relief so hopefully this is the you know the start um starting point of his of a, a good career at, at lille Absolutely, yeah. When that when that goal was scored, honestly, you could just see yeah. <laughs> the weight go off his shoulders, and the camera cut to the bench. I don't know who, I can't remember who it was specifically. Maybe Jeremy Pierre might have been um, 
Burak Yelmaz, but someone on the bench was just like going absolutely crazy uh, when Jonathan David kind of looked back at him saying, thank God you finally got it. Because, you know, he's come close. It's, I'm not going to say, you know, he's had chances, he hasn't missed them. Yeah, I'm not going to say he's yeah. been overly unlucky, but oh, it was a nice little nice little jink of the hips in here and, and he finally got his first goal. Thank God, now we can move past that. Oh, I was getting sick of every week going, when's he going to get his first goal? When's he going to get his first goal? But okay, it happened. I was looking back at this result and... Are with Lille being disappointed about a draw with Milan, you know, this famous club, the current Italian leaders, does this show how far Lille have come since that almost damning season in 2017-18 where they almost got relegated? You know, the management of Christophe Galtier-Philip, the squad building of Luis Campos and the millions of euros from Gerard Lopez as well. But does it just show how much they've progressed from that almost horrid season a few years ago, Philip, now that they're being disappointed maybe at a 1-1 draw with AC Milan? You, got to, you also got to mention that uh, if Lille were uh, to have been relegated, I honestly thought they, they would have been relegated, and Gatti is uh, really a miracle worker to have uh, made that work uh, that uh, particular season. They would have been in a hell of a lot of trouble because they wouldn't have uh, as, ma- as many um, television money from uh, Ligue 2, because obviously Ligue 2 side get less money than Ligue 1, Ligue 1 side, and they probably would have been relegated to non-league football or something like that. I mean, it would have been extremely bad. But thankfully, they did not get relegated, and uh, right, right after that, they, they 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 did great seasons after great seasons uh, in this uh, in this you know fantastic stadium of theirs. And, and, you know, for for a recent stadium, it's very you know it's very it's very good if uh, if you if you have the the chance to to, to go there. I mean, uh, to to all our listeners, it's one of the one of the greatest um, experiences you you could get a uh, Champions League game. A European uh, Europa League game or something, or a big game against uh, against uh, Lyon or Marseille. I mean, it's a, it's a great experience, and and of course the fans the fans have been uh, have been going. Uh, well, obviously not uh, not nowadays, but uh, um, it's in terms in terms of the play. I mean, it's it proved it proved how uh, how well uh, Galtier has uh, has uh, managed the squad, and. You know, I would have thought that not having Renato Sanchez against against Lorient would have been would have been a problem. Then you have a four 0 emphatic win, and and then that game. To, to be honest, um, today today's game was uh, was pretty much a nil nil game that finally ended in a one all draw. There there were a few few saves from the goalkeepers. Mike Mignon didn't have that much to do. Donnarumma a couple of a couple of good saves, but uh, yeah, I would I would say that uh, it was um, a bad um, a bad situation to be in once uh, Casillero uh, scored the uh, scored scored the opening goal. Thankfully, they got uh, they got the equaliser and they can be very happy with that with that draw. And let's uh, yeah, let's hope for a win uh, for a win against uh, against uh, is it Pry or is it Prague or Celtic next? I'm not sure. Their next match in the Europa League is Sparta Praha at home, yeah, in a, in a week's time. Yeah. And you know, if not, I mean, pretty confident. Sorry, Lewis, but pretty confident they would beat uh, would beat Celtic. Uh, from from what from what we saw in the in the first in the in the uh, corresponding fixture. I, I mean, I'm still quite surprised to see them bottom with one point. I mean, uh, it's uh, but so. Good, good, good news for Lille because we may have uh, we may have at least one French representative in the Europa League uh, knockout stage. <laughs> at last, uh, you know Lille have got to be pretty happy with the season start. You know already, you know they're sitting top of their Europa League group. They're sitting second in Ligue 1, just two points off of. PSG. They've only lost one game all season. So this match against San Etienne this weekend, that's just another chance to keep that form going, Philip, isn't it? You know. They're, I mean, to me, they're the most entertaining side to to watch. I don't know for how long Renato Sanchez is is down injured, but uh, to me, the the best Liga game we've had uh, so far is Lille versus Lyon. Um, it, <clears throat> they, I mean, they, they produce a quality all across the side. We know how how good uh, Mike Mignon is. We uh, they have a great. Uh, they made a really super signing in Sven Botman. I mean, he looks uh, he really looks apart. Fonte, despite uh, despite his his age, still looks uh, pretty good. He did make a uh, he did make a couple of mistakes this afternoon, but nothing nothing major. Um, then you've got uh, the immense uh, Renato Sanchez, Luis Arrojo, big fan, of, big fan of him. 
uh, extreme quality bumper as well. Uh, Joao David getting getting his confidence, still still saying that uh, he's going to struggle uh, with uh, the lack of uh, time he has on the board in Liga, and he probably belongs in uh, in uh, in a league where he has a bit more time on a bit more time on the ball. And uh, um, in Mass has been has been a success. So, I mean, we've been talking about this on Monday with um, uh, on the other podcast that they could, yeah, they could seriously challenge challenge PSG. I mean, it's. Uh, it, it, to to me, it is it is the best team to watch in in France today. I know they are pushing it close at the moment with it setting two two. But for me and Lille, and I know this is maybe a bit rich to say because obviously PSG have lost a number of games already this season. But usually PSG are quite good at just turning up against Nîmes on a Wednesday night, Tuesday night, and just like thrashing them without much of an issue. Whereas Lille, you know, they'll draw against Lyon, which is a tough game, of course, but but they'll lose to Brest and then they'll draw against Nice. I don't know, I just think sometimes they need a, a, a bit more of a cutting edge. They need to kind of, if they want to win the league, they need to be that team who just goes on like a six, seven, eight match run and they just blow apart everything ahead of them. But as we've seen in a couple of matches, also that Celtic game, uh, in the Europa League to finish 2-2, sometimes they just need to be a bit more cut through, I think. But that'll come with time, you know. This squad's still coming together, Jonathan David, as we talked about. It's kind of their new big strike. Think, he's only 20 years old. I think they'll settle for second. I don't think they'll be too distraught yeah. with finishing second. I mean, if they if they can get Champions League football at the Stade pierre one and, you know, fingers crossed, we could, we could have fans next season, then, you know, would be... Would would be great for the club. I think the club would be absolutely uh, absolutely um, elated about that that uh, turn of events. Okay, let's move on to our fourth match of the podcast, and this was Ren. They hosted Chelsea in this one. Calm Hudson Adoy opened the scoring for the London club before Serhu Guarassi got the equaliser in eighty fifth minute. You know, thinking that he may have stole a point for Rem, but then that man, Olivier Giroud, France knows him well, went and got the winner in stoppage time, taking all three points back to London and knocking Rem out of the Champions League. You know, bitterly disappointing, of course, but they never they never approached this campaign, Thomas, with a, a real belief that they'd maybe go on and, and go on a run in this competition, did they? You know, this was maybe just, this is more just the start of what Rem will be hoping Will yeah. be a, uh, the next few years of kind of consistent European qualification, when, isn't it? Yeah, I think obviously this this team is. I think they've they've shot they've kind of shown their limits at the moment um, with what they can do, but they've got um, a promising young manager and and a really a good crop of talented youngsters and and other experienced players. So it was just this this sort of challenge from was a step too far, especially with you know really strong teams like, like Chelsea and, and Sevilla. Um, it was always going to be really tough for them, but, you know, they've got a chance to, to qualify for the Europa League, so maybe they can um, go on a run there. But, yeah, it's it's, it's a tough it's tough for them, but I don't think they... Out of all the the performances for, for French teams across Europe, um, it's it's harder to be critical of, of Rennes than, than others. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I mean, they did give they did give Chelsea a good game, didn't they? You know, they they had mm. their chances and they gave they had a lot of shots, shots on target, and and did you know threaten them at times. And Ren are a team, as we've said too much, and they're a team in development. There's still some players that are still to kind of grow into themselves, and there's maybe some of the older guys that are going to be weeding out for the next generation to come through. But, you know, in this match alone, you had Adrian Truffer, who's, who's 19 at left-back. Jerzino Nyamsi is a little bit older, 23, but he's not had absolute bags of experience in Liga, and especially this season, as he hasn't played loads. Um, and the other guys, obviously, Eduardo Camavinga's next level, but he's still very young. Uh, also, players like James Lea Sleeky, I think, are guys that aren't really of this level and will be kind of found out rather soon. But, you know, they are building towards that team that maybe next season could really could really go into this uh, Champions League campaign thinking that they could progress. You know, Thomas, do you think they are showing progress despite the lack of kind of true convincing performance, or not performances, because they have performances, but results that they've had so far in this Champions League group stage? Yeah, I think it's, just, it's perhaps being a little bit more ruthless 
um, with their chances and and more efficient, um, not not losing the ball as much. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It, I guess it depends on how they if they did qualify for the Champions League next season. Uh, it depends on their group, but I'd still it's difficult to to predict how they how they progress this season. I I believe it should be just an upward trend, but how drastic it is because they they seem I mean they weren't they weren't awful of course, but they they seem quite far off to 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 probably qualify for the later later group stages. Um, and it again in this game it was just a last minute last minute goal from from Giroud and. And Alfred Gomez was just furious um, when they conceded, but uh, yeah, it's a difficult one to take. But I'm sure they'll be they'll be back in Europe, uh, European competitions next year. Mm, they currently sit seventh, but as we've said, it is a very tight upper half of uh, Ligue 1 at this moment. You know, Lyon sit third with 20 points, and then Nice are just three points below them, but they're tenth. You know. Uh, or ninth rather, you know, it is still quite tight at the top. Only eleven or so games in, depending on who's had games in hand and whatnot. Um, you said there they do still have a chance of potentially qualifying for the Europa League, going up against uh, Krasnodar in this group stage. Their next match is actually going to be away to SC Krasnodar. How much are you backing them to? potentially qualify for the next stage you know they will need to win that game but as they showed in that last match against against the russian side let mm-hmm. me fact check this the russian side they did dominate a lot of the match and they were quite unlucky yeah that was a that that was really tough for them to to take i think it was their first first match as well um and it would have really been a great start unfortunately they 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 did yeah they did i remember watching that game they and they had a lot of chances to to sort of um, finish the game off, but yeah, I think, I think they're away, aren't they? At, in Russia, they are away. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can't see why um, they can't get a, a result out of that, and and I think that would mean put them in a good good stance because I think Krasnodar would have to play Chelsea the next game after that. Yeah, they I would. Think it would be. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out in my head. Um. So yeah, that that is. Um. I think if they win that, it pretty much qualifies them for the Europa League. Unless Canada pull off something against Chelsea. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough one. Uh, but hopefully they can get get there you know we'll obviously we'll be talking about the Krasnodar game next week next Thursday or Friday morning when you're listening to the podcast uh reviewing that but hopefully the boys can get a big performance you know maybe Romain Del Castillo can actually show me why he's a professional footballer at some point and put in a good game let's move into our final match of the podcast and this was Nice Patrick Vieira's Nice you know they hosted Slavia Prague for this one Amini Awidi getting the goal for Nice but unfortunately Slavia Prague had three goals in uh, reply goal, an absolute screamer coming from Linger in the first half. It, it just it seemed like it was sailing right over the bar and then it just dipped down in the top right corner. It was a really insane goal. And then other goals coming from Olienka and Sima, two players that played really interesting in this one. Um, Abdallah Sima, I believe, is 19 years old, so might need to watch out for him. And also Peter Olienka, who is 25, a little bit older, on the left wing, playing up front as well, looked extremely impressive. Really, really a body and that kind of back four of Nice tonight. But, Philip, another defeat for Patrick Vieira's men. What do, you, what do you make of the performance? Is there any kind of positives to take away from it? Or was a rather naive defence, a rather young defence to blame again in this defeat? I think it goes back to uh, again the uh, uh, the spirit of um, of uh, uh, shall we say preparing for for a European game just before a league game that uh, Slavia Prague were very much up for it and uh, not not really doing any calculations uh, about uh, how how fit they're going to be uh, afterwards. You have to take in mind that Nice didn't play at the weekend. They had a uh, a game postponed at Marseille, which is a bit silly now because. Marseille and both played uh, home uh, a couple of days later, so you know, make of that what you will. But the, yeah, I mean, there, there was there were there were a lot of uh, of coronavirus cases in both, um, especially at uh, especially for Nice, uh, especially Schneiderlin. So he was coming back and he was a captain of the team. 
who played, uh, who played, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I saw a four-one-four-one to Schneiderlin in front of the defense. Um, that goal, uh, the first goal from Savio Prague. Uh, you know how the goalkeeper takes his uh, takes his six-yard six six-yard kick. Uh, it's exactly yeah. like that, except that <laughs> except that it goes into the top corner. I mean, it's, uh, Schneider, Schneider, Schneider typically uh, basically said what everything sort of that goal was. Uh, if, if he takes it a million times, he probably won't score uh, ever again in his life, because <laughs> I mean the shot was so was so miscued and and so you know just didn't go anywhere. I mean, no precision, no precision at all. It was like a goal kick, especially when the ball went up and up and up, but it didn't go up enough to go over the bar. So he went in under the bar. So absolutely no chance for Benitez. And that was, uh, you know, that just thought, okay, this this is not starting too well. And then you have uh, uh, Claude Maurice, who has a big chance. Uh, great um, a great interplay between the lines from uh, Guiri, I think it was. And Claude Maurice's shot uh, goes in uh, goes out off the post. And this is, it's, it's those little things, isn't it? It's... Uh, if this goes in, uh, if this goes in, it changes the whole game, and it's one-one at halftime, and uh, then Nice can can win, uh, can get the second. You also got to uh, to uh, to to remind yourself that uh, Nice lost the uh, first game, uh, the game three weeks ago. So the corresponding fixture she will in Prague three-two. So if Nice were to win one-nil or two-one, uh, they would have won the uh, the aggregate, which was which is quite important. Which is, I mean, exactly the same uh, same situation of uh, PSG versus Leipzig, except that this time it's in the Europa League and not the Champions League. And so at one one, you know, there was there was hope. But then um, seconds later, you've got uh, you've got a header from uh, that Nigerian player you uh, you mentioned, uh, which was very well stopped by uh, by Benitez. But that was you know that was a warning sign. It was you know uh, be careful with uh, with the um, um, with the uh, with the defending. Aerial defending, and then you have a uh, Slavia Prague corner goal. So you know, you take you can see goal from set pieces. That's not great. And uh, then the third goal is pretty much the same. Uh, Robson Bambu and Ensoki not playing, not playing very well. I mean, Slavia, Slavia were were good. I mean, we're not not going to uh, to say that that they weren't, but uh, Nice could have had uh, a better. Better, um, better defense, and uh, in midfield, uh, you could just tell that Schneiderler was. Uh, he was. I mean, I, I would say he was match fit, but uh, he was against uh, against players that have been playing for for a long time and uh, had uh, much more wisdom than him. And um, again, we probably don't have to mention the, uh, the 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 wingers, Lewis, as we did on Twitter, uh, Ronnie Lopez and uh, uh, Mizian Maulida. Ronnie Lopez not doing much not doing much since he left Lille uh, didn't have an effect on the game at all. Molida not really not really good either. So that was that was bad from both sides. And when you look at the bench, I mean, it's just such a such a young and inexperienced side, and you just thought that yeah, Pierre had basically no options. So too bad for too bad for for Nice because now they have to beat Leverkusen four 0 in order to uh, to win on aggregate against them. Seems a bit complicated, so yeah, you can pretty much say Nisa out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been difficult. It's been difficult. Um, you know, Nice have been good in recent years with their kind of their their managers. You know, guys who have made the team kind of click and move forward with a real desire and a real kind of idea of how to do things. Obviously, I'm talking about Lucien Favre, who was. Incredible, a big fan of him. Obviously, he's now at Borussia Dortmund. Also, Claude Puel had a, a very good spell there. And Patrick Vieira, you know, he came in from NYCFC, an MLS club, say what you will about the American Football Leagues. And obviously, he's got the stature and he's got the history, but it just hasn't seemed to click this season. You know, he had, I think it was his first season that was very impressive when they only they conceded like the fewest goals in Liga and they had that very impressive defence made up of Dante. Donch, Benitez, Malang Sar, Christoph Herrell, but Thomas, Let's Christoph Herrell. It was, it was Benitez that season, come on. Uh, no, nah, but there was, you know, I mean, I know that was kind of the season that was like made everyone kind of set up all your football hipsters and be like, oh, by the way, Benitez is really good at football. <laughs> but, you know, there was other guys that were, were there. Malang Sar had an incredible season there when he was actually played at centre half as opposed to bloody, I don't know, right wing these days. Um, 
you know, it was a bit of an unfortunate. But how far away have we gone, Thomas, from that kind of very defensive team, that, that team that were good at keeping a clean sheet under Vieira? You know, be that because of um, Benitez or be that because of the back three, you know, how far have we gone away from that? Do you look at the injury that has happened to Dante now and say, and you start to really see the kind of cracks that that's yes. opened up and how hard it's going to be to to fix that, Thomas? I mean, if, when you when you're asking about what where we've progressed since since that season, that first season, I mean, looking at it tactically with all the players that he's brought in, have they progressed really that much? I don't think so. That's kind of what I'm saying. Mm, that's that's my that's sort of the concern around it at the moment, and it's been sort we've sort of been a broken record for quite a while talking about Nice and especially with all the the investment that Ineos has, has put into the club recently. Um, but it just doesn't seem to have um, produced anything as of yet. I, I guess it's still kind of early days um, with that investment. But from what we've seen from Vieira so far, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still not, um, not convinced. Hmm. Philip, do you think it's starting to get crunch time with the management? Even if you look at some of the subs that was made tonight, you know, like Atal off for Dan and Doy, Amini Gawiri off for, for Pelmar. I don't know how you really explain that when they were 2-1 down and then 3-1 down, I think, at that point. Do you think it is starting to get crunch time, though, for Patrick Vieira, if it wasn't already before this game? I didn't. I didn't think the situation was uh, particularly bad before the uh, before the game against Slavia Prague. I don't think the situation is 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 bad either because we've had French French sides bowing out to uh, I mean uh, poor poor performances in the Europa League and then resuming their form in in the in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of injuries, but there are a lot of um, of players performing. And I don't think uh, any decision will be made during this season. Maybe, um, maybe in um, in May or June, uh, where uh, things will be things will be said, uh, depending on what uh, needs to do in the Coupe de France, depending where they finish in the in the mm-hmm. league. But I I can't see them finishing top top seven or maybe uh, yeah maybe maybe a bit lower. And to be honest, I don't think I don't think the, the shareholders or the chairman. Would mind that much? I mean, uh, again, Europa League—it's a lot of—it's a lot of game, not much money. They could, um, yeah, they could have a, a perfectly good season without it. So, always the same, always the same problem. Um, mm. But I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's under—he's under threat right now. I mean, this is not—it's uh, not the kind of—it's not the kind of place where you're under pressure after a, after a bad run. I mean, it's not Marseille or PSG. It's. Uh, it's very, uh, it's much more, it's much more of a laid-back club than the, uh, than the other, than some other club on the south coast. So I, I mean, I'm not worried for his, uh, for his, te- for his uh, future this season at least. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good, good point, and I think it's probably um, right to make some comparisons to uh, Lille last season and, and Nice because of Lille had quite a, a shift in. Um, and they brought in quite a few players, and we did say at the I remember the beginning of the season that we'd see where this little team would let's see where this little team would be, you know, towards the last three months of the season. That's that's what they they're going going to go for, and, and we we sort of saw that before the before the lockdown and and suspended the league. Um, they were really pushing on, and they've shown that this season, and and perhaps it's now here for Nice and Vieira that. Now they've got that investment and they've got quite a few players coming in, even though they've lost Anch. Um Perhaps the second half of the season will tell us much more about um, Vieira's position and where Nice are going compared to what we're seeing at the moment. Mm. Interesting note to kind of finish on. I know there are movements happening at Nice. Obviously, they are still in the early phases of that investment you know these are long-term investments they're not short-term investments but, but this type of thing with since Ineos has taken over and obviously Vieira still has a lot to prove he, you've got to remember he's still an inexperienced manager at least he's not done absolutely loads I believe he did work at Man City's youth kind of academy I think he might have managed one of their youth teams and then obviously went to New York City who I watched a lot of 
under him. Um, they were pretty much dabbing VFC just at that point, but, you know, save that what you will. And then he's come to Nice, and he's got a couple solid finishes on paper, but not everyone's been happy with the football, you know. All I would say is watch this space. There's still developments in Nice, and we'll have to see if, they, if the board are as uh, as pragmatic <laughs> as Philip has been with uh, with him being keeping the job towards the end of the season if performances don't really start to improve at least in Europe but with that I believe we will wrap it up if you're looking for more information on all things French football you can get us at the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com you can also find us on Twitter at GFFN I've been joined by Thomas Wiseman and Philip Bargiel for this one I've been Lewis McParlin you can find me on Twitter by searching that but good luck spelling my surname thanks for listening bye for now